Everything that we do is based on the trends, on the international trends that come out of the show season in Paris, London, Milan, New York, Australian Fashion Week. So everything sort of stems from that. That's Philippa Moroni, my first ever podcast guest, senior fashion editor and market director of Vogue Australia. Welcome to Process the Podcast. I'm Ariel Thomas, motion director and founder of production company Cinematom. In this podcast, I welcome guests of all creative disciplines and bridge the gap between art and commerce as leaders in their lane. We dive into their unique process to actualize their ideas and get our hands dirty with the work. I hope you love these creative conversations with some of the most celebrated names in the Australian fashion, media and design landscape. I am so excited to welcome you to my very first episode and I'll get this part out of the way first. If you love the chat that I'm about to have with Philippa Moroni and want to support this new podcast, please subscribe and share. Have you ever wondered how some of Vogue's most iconic covers come to be? Ask Philippa Moroni, Vogue Australia's Senior Fashion Editor and Market Director. Pip's time at Vogue has seen her create some of Australian fashion's most recognisable editorial looks of the past decade. In this episode, I go deep with Philippa, a seasoned stylist who's worked with the likes of Christine Centenera and styled celebs like Aquafina, into the genesis of a cover shoot, her creative process, from how she conceptualises a shoot to what inspires her and the vibe she creates on set, and how she's navigated the changing nature of the industry in the past two years. This episode is brought to you by the beautiful team at Australian Style Institute. For over a decade, ASI has delivered personal styling and editorial styling courses to students across Australia and online. But forget everything you know about traditional education. This is hands-on practical learning by industry-leading stylists for curious creatives and entrepreneurial minds just like you. Find out more and chat to the team at australianstyleinstitute.com.au. A note on this episode, Pip and I burst out laughing the second that I hit record. Please excuse my excitement to be on air for the very first time. <laughs> Pip, thank you so much for joining me oh, on this. Pleasure, pleasure. I'm excited. To give our listeners some context, I met you, I actually met you through by a Monsantos for That's when you are at Vogue right. for, yeah, because she moved across from Vogue to Scanlon and then I was just starting Cinema Tom as a production company and you were doing the, you were styling the Vogue show at Vamp. Yes, yes. And then, yeah, and we were talking about video and she's like, you know that little video thing that you do, could you do that for Pip? And I was like, yes, I will do video for Vogue. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) And you were like so much more professional than like anyone we'd ever worked with before. It was actually (laughs) felt like quite legit. (laughs) That was such a nice show. It was the one where you guys made that statement with all the models at the end walking out in oh, black. Yeah, Do you yes. remember that? Oh yeah, God, that really feels nice. like a lifetime ago. I know. I think it was 2017. Oh, God. <laughs> I know. But it has been 10 years at Vogue for you this year, hasn't it? Yes. <gasps> yes. Let's talk about your career ladder. How did you get to there? Well, I mean, how long have you got? It's a <laughs> lo- <laughs> Look, it's a long story. I'll try to condense it as much as I can. I basically started interning. I had applied for a whole bunch of internships um, at a, a lots, of, lots of different publications and I ended up missing out on one at Rush, which I really wanted. It was like my dream. But I didn't get it. So I kept applying and applied for one at InStyle and ended up getting it. And that was just like 
mind-blowing. Like it was just sort of opening the doors to this other world. And I learned so much there. I was only there for a couple of months and then Rush actually rang me and said, am I still interested? And I just like, after I collected myself up off the floor, I said, yes. Um, So I left InStyle and then started at Rush. And that was like a baptism of fire. Like I did everything. And it was quite amazing. Like at the time when I started there, I was there for a couple of months and I was sort of like doing like stuff in the fashion cupboard and, you know, doing returns and working underneath the fashion assistant. And then the fashion assistant and the assistant to the fashion director at the time, Stevie Dance, both those girls left and they went overseas. So it was like this amazing sort of like right place, right time moment and they hired me. So I was on staff as a fashion assistant and I was assisting Stevie, like doing all the requests for her shoots and everything and then assisting um, Emma Reed at the time who was the market editor on her all her pages I was also running the fashion cupboard. I was like literally the courier, like driving the returns around <laughs> Sydney. And this is really showing my age, but this is the time when we didn't have GPS. Like I had like the... Um, the Millways. The, yeah, the ways on my lap with like my to-do list. This is like so unsafe. I'm not recommending anyone like, you know, <laughs> 10 and 2 on the wheel at all times. But, you know, it was so crazy and those days were so long but I was so young and just like loved it um and then so I was there for a while and then I actually was made redundant from there when Rush changed publishers my role was made redundant and I was devastated it was my dream like I felt like I had just landed this dream job and then all of a sudden the rug was pulled out from under me and I was devastated but you know, you pick yourself up, you dust yourself off, you've got rent to pay. So I applied for a few jobs. I heard that there was a retail job going at Land's End, which was this amazing store in Paddington. Um, and, you know, it stocked like everything from Richard Nickel to Balmain when, you know, those big shoulder jackets were like all the rage. It was, um, you know, it was amazing. And so well, uh, while I was there, um, Stevie from Rush actually let me know that Christine Centenaire was looking for an assistant at Harper's Bazaar. And I thought, oh, yeah, absolutely, love to do that. So Christine actually came into the store while I was working to do a pull and we got to chatting and, I don't know, I must have done something to impress her because I ended up having a meeting with her at um, Harper's Bazaar and, you know, we seemed to get along and, she sort of offered me the job and then I went and met in with um, Gillian Davison, the fashion director at the time who had just moved back from the US um, and she hired me. So I sort of got this job as fashion assistant or junior fashion assistant actually at the time and worked there for two years and then when Edwina McCann became the editor at Vogue, she took me over from Harper's to Vogue and so I started at Vogue as a market editor and yeah, sort of just been working my way up internally. And now I'm senior fashion editor and market director. Yeah, girl. <laughs> so good. And I'm 104. <laughs> <laughs> so what do each of those roles actually entail? So it's sort of, yeah, it's a bit of a split role, but you know, that's the nature of the beast. Everyone does multiple things. Um 
So the fashion editor part is obviously, you know, styling shoots, styling covers, styling celebrities, you know, editing sort of the fashion for the readers and what we're putting on the pages. And then the market role is sort of twofold, like in one ways being a market director is you need to know exactly what is out in the market. You know, if someone was to ask you where's the best, you know, five pairs of jeans from, where's the best, you know, 10 white T-shirts, you need to be able to list them off in your um, off the top of your head. So there's that, but then there's also the bigger role, which is really about servicing our clients and making sure that they're happy and that we're delivering on their messages for the reader. Right. So okay. it's a big role, but we have yeah. an amazing team. And yeah, I've just come back from two bouts of maternity leave over the years. And um, yeah, we have an amazing team that sort of keeps it all running. Yeah, I've met your girls several times and the Vogue girls are so divine. <laughs> I've You'd think it would be intimidating, but everyone is so warm and yeah. heaven. Well, we're just regular people. You know, so many people get like intimidated or you, you know, you tell someone where you work and they, the amount of times where, you, where someone says to you, oh, what do you do? And I say, oh, oh, I'm a stylist or I sort of try to play it down. But, you know, I'm very proud of where I work. So I don't sort of, you know, scout the, you yeah. know, scout the question, but I say, oh, Just I, a little publication. Well, <laughs> no, because people get really self-conscious. And the, the amount of times when you say to someone, oh, I work at Vogue, they look at their outfit. Thinking you know, that you're Miranda Priestley. Yeah, thinking that I'm going to judge them. And meanwhile, I'm like in my active wear walking my two kids to school in a like pram having an argument with a four-year-old about putting her shoes on. Like it's, <laughs> we're very real. Yeah, I think from in the past maybe four, I think it's been three and a half, four years now that I've had Cinema Tom as a business. And in all the instances where I would be a little bit nervous, I've just realised everyone that is absolutely at the top of their game is very hardworking so much so that it's it's wild Mm -hmm. and just have the biggest hearts Mm. and I think it probably has something to do with success I think probably has something to do with that and the generosity that people have but it's just been really remarkable to find that out that that the grass is always greener yeah it's full of hugs it's the best (laughs) (laughs) but I think as well like if you've clawed your way up to somewhere, literally. Yeah. Oh, you're just getting the visual of me. Um, you know, like, but when people show you kindness and people, you know, support you and mentor you, you want to pass that on. Yeah. You know, because you have to, because that's what's going to happen to the next generation. You can't sort of like safeguard all your secrets and all your tools because what does that give you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So what drew you into the fashion world? Were you a little grom on the floor with mags when you were six? I, like I, I don't remember being on the floor with magazines. Like I don't remember, like I remember always drawing. Like I was always drawing. Oh. I remember being on the school bus in primary school, drawing like fashion outfits. Like, like, like thinking I was like Karl Lagerfeld. Like <laughs> drawing these fashion outfits and you know, just loving sort of design and clothes and I don't know, I was always sort of like, you know, being creative and putting on, you know, performances and putting together like these weird outfits and it's not until later on in life when I was talking to a friend of mine 
um, who used to run this fashion market in Sydney, which I would always hang out with, hang out at and, you know, buy vintage clothes and sort of put them together and like, oh my God, some of the outfits are so whack when I look back at them. It's hilarious. <laughs> but, you know, he was the one that said to me, <laughs> I'd be fired. No, I'm just <laughs> um, he was the one that said to me, oh, have you ever thought about styling? And I, I didn't even know what it was. And he was the one that said, oh, you know, like, you know, people, you know, put together these outfits in the magazines. And that's when I thought, oh, yeah, I could do that. I could let it go. How does the final product of something that you styled in Vogue or maybe an article or something online actually come to be? Like is there, let's work backwards from like say the most recent issue or something that you've styled recently that you adore. Is there like a boardroom meeting three months in advance and and you guys have had like a stimulus thrown at you to agree on the the um, theme, like remember how Rush always has their themes yeah. issues? Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Does Vogue like secretly have their theme of an issue? Yeah. So we obviously with such a beast and so much content to create it, you have to have a framework, you know, and in terms of, you know, the fashion team and the, you know, the styling and what sort of fashion stories we, you know, bring to the reader, you know, everything that we do is based on the trends, on the international show, on the international trends that come out of the show season in Paris, London, Milan, New York, you know, Sydney, Australian Fashion Week. So everything sort of stems from that and we take sort of these key, you know, and it's sort of like it's not like, oh, okay, so like polka dots, like bright colour, you know, masculine tailoring, like yes, those things feed into that but it's about sort of like the ideas around fashion right. and sort of what the mood is and, you know, back when we were travelling, you know, you'd sort of hang on every word of, um, you know, you know, our creative director or Christine or, you know, Edwina who'd been there that can really talk you through sort of the mood and the feeling and what people are saying and, you know, what, you know, I think even though knowledge is so, you know, we can gain so much knowledge from reading, um, you know, and looking at imagery on you know, things like Vogue Runway and things like that, nothing sort of beats being there and sort of like mm. seeing that sort of mood. So once you've got the sort of overarching themes of the season, then you sort of work to break it down into what issues that you're working with. Globally by Condé Nast, we will have, um, you know, certain issues which are themed. It might be sort of like Vogue values or, um, you know, like, body or you know something like that that might be a sort of an overarching issue and then it's up to us to sort of break into break that sort of down you know into what we're going to you know be able to show the reader um and then yeah from then it sort of like filters down if you can imagine sort of a funnel that goes from like you know mood of the season to big ideas to you know which issue in the season there might be four or five issues in the season that we're working with and you know then we always start with the cover who the cover talent is you know, work your way um, down through that about what the feature is, what the styling will be. Um, for me, like when I'm doing a shoot, it usually starts with who you're shooting. So say, for instance, last year I shot Aquafina for the December cover. So you just take someone like Nora, you do a whole bunch of research into what they're about, you talk to the writer about what they're writing the feature about, you layer in, you know, you start to think about what's going to look good on their body, what's going to suit them, what their style is. Um, you know, if you want to sort of vogify the person, if you want to lean into their personal style. So 
And then you sort of work back with the season as to what looks are going to work for them and then you request them and then, you know, they arrive, you do a fitting, you do the shoot. It's um, There's so much to actually say that it sort of like drills it down to being so simplified it sounds like there's nothing to it. But <laughs> I promise I do a lot. So you just said if we were going to vogify them or if they were going to have their lean into their own personal style, what does vogify mean? Well, I think like classic example, like the Billie Eilish Vogue, um, British Vogue Uh, cover where, you know, she worked hand in hand with the British Vogue team to sort of, you know, bring about a new look which ended Mm -hmm. up breaking the internet. So, you know, there's some people that are really, open to your suggestions about you know what you want to do and some people are more malleable and like to collaborate with you more on the process and then some other people are guarded and you know it is a bit more sort of formulaic so it just depends what are the timelines for that sort of stuff um so I mean we'll sort of have a meeting about the season after the show's finish and then yeah you know we could have covers locked in for the next you know, nine to 12 months. Um, but, you know, things change with, um, you know, movie release dates and, and things like that. So it's still all a bit of a movable feast, but it's nice to have the framework in place. I think I want to ask more about how how you get chosen to style a particular piece. Like what, like in, or in a Vogue issue, mm-hmm. not everything is styled by you. No but you are obviously a stylist. Yep. So who is there deciding which ones you get to do versus so someone else? that is decided by Christine, our fashion director, and our photography and casting director and executive talent director, which is Ricky King. So they'll sort of like work out, I guess, across the season who's going to be right for the job. You know, we might have to outsource shoots overseas and work with stylists and photographers there. We might have to, you know, shoot things locally here. So we are essentially, you know, given the job, say it was Aquafina, um, and then I go away and think about what I'd like to do. You know, obviously I have a conversation with Christine about, you know, you know, a general sort of approach and what she thinks and, you know, talk about it that way. And then I'll go away and choose a photographer, work on, sometimes I'll work on a mood board, or a creative concept and send it to the photographer. Other photographers like to be involved and sort of will collaborate on it with on on it together. Um, yeah, so you're given a lot of freedom, but in saying that, because Vogue is you know a commercial brand and there is a lot of investment on a lot of levels, everything that you do needs to be, I guess, approved um, by Edwina, by Christine, and just so. I can go into a shoot knowing that what I want to do is approved, you know, and on the other side, Edwina is expecting me to come back with pages with a certain look and feel. So it just safeguards everyone and, yeah, because there's a lot of time, a lot of money invested, um, we need to get it right the first time. So when you're establishing the look and feel, what is the Pip Moroni process into deciding the look and feel oh gosh it's it varies you know like you always start with who you're shooting or what you're shooting a lot of research a lot of time thinking and that's what I feel like I struggle with the most having that time to really think um as in there's not enough hours in the day to do that or no room to think yeah you know like it's just 
the luxury of time as I get older and, you know, now that I've got two kids is it's harder to come by, you know, like that's what I struggle with the most. But I find talking it out, you know, my colleague Kayla is, you know, such a great sounding board and we'll often just hash things out. Christine is a great sounding board, you know, so I find going away, thinking about things, pulling references from photographers' work that I like or, you know, from different stylists' work that I like and then sort of pulling it all together, hashing it out with someone, you know, refining it, showing it to a photographer, getting their input. Maybe that might spark another, you know, avenue of, um, you know, inspiration. And then, yeah, we obviously have to send that to the, if we're shooting a celebrity, um, we'll send it to them for their feedback. They might have feedback, they might not. Um, And then sort of when you get on set, it's that fine line of letting it, you know, let the creativity flow, but also in the back of your mind, knowing what you need to deliver back to the magazine, you know, because people can get carried away on set and at the end of the day I need to be proud of something that I take back to my editor and say this is this is what I've done, you know. A lot of people have a lot of different, um, what's the word, objectives or, you know, motives for wanting to shoot with Vogue. A lot of people kind of, you know, like to, you know, want to do their own thing and, you know, it's about sort of managing that. And, you know, Christine taught me a really valuable piece of information. You know, actually styling is the easy part. It's actually the managing of people's egos and managing people on set, which is the trickiest to make sure that you get what you want out of that day. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of preparation, are you told how many images and looks you've got to produce ahead yeah. of time? Or yeah, you'll have like-, like a page, you know, count. It might be like 12 to 14 pages usually for a main fashion. Sometimes covers are a bit more or less depending on how many hours you can get with the celebrity. Um, I'm prepping a story on for shoot on Friday, um, you know, and that's to go along, there's imagery to go along with a feature, a written feature. So the feature might be over six pages. And so I need to capture four images to go with that. Mm. What are you looking for in your creatives when you go out to sort of look for photographers? And I guess in my case, motion or the hair and makeup and the if they're not celebrities, the models that you cast, when you're building a story, what's the process of then choosing and what sort of goes through your mind to allocate and... I think it's about finding the right person for the job and that's what Mm -hmm. I've learned over the years, trying trying to get a photographer to shoot something that they're not into or it's not their style, it's going to be a disaster. Like I've had plenty of disasters where I've tried to like stick a square peg in a round hole and it just doesn't work, whereas... You need to sort of look at, you know, a photographer's strengths and what you think you can bring out of them to get the best result. And the same with, you know, hair and makeup as well. And it's amazing because now Instagram, you know, is essentially people's books. It's so easy to, you know, quickly log on, find things you like. Oh, yeah, they can do that, you know, and sort of go back that way. Is that how you'll quickly source talent if someone says, oh, you have to check out this person that I've seen? Do you go on Instagram to find them? I do. 
which is annoying <laughs> because I try not to go on Instagram a lot. I've got that function where you can only spend an hour a day on it and then it like locks <laughs> so you So <out>. disciplined. <laughs> I'm always, it's like the snooze button though. I'm like more, 15 more minutes, 15 more minutes, 15 more minutes. But yeah. Just let me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's my life. Yeah. <laughs> If you've loved hearing Pip's story on styling so far, maybe it's a good time to hear from our sponsors. The Australian Style Institute. They deliver hands-on practical courses by industry-leading fashion stylists for curious creatives and entrepreneurial minds, just like you. Find out more and chat to the team at australianstyleinstitute.com.au. So how has your creativity evolved over the years? Like, as you mentioned, drawing on the bus like you at Carl Lagerfeld, <laughs> how has that sort of come about now and your self-expression obviously through looks and whatnot? Is it creativity? I think especially being a mother, I can imagine, as you mentioned, you don't have too many hours in the day mm. to find moments to yourself. Mm-hmm. But how has that evolved since when you started and it was go, go, go? And you know how when you do heaps of shoots back to back, it almost like you're almost producing at a higher capacity so the work is almost better. Yeah. But then when it's drawn out in time, you overthink things and it doesn't come as naturally. Yeah. yeah. How does your creativity work? Um, it's a really good question. And the short answer is I don't know. <laughs> I think I think. I mean, you're right. I think the more you start sort of thinking about it and getting all twisted about it is the worse you're off. If you just sort of keep your head down and keep going and keep moving forward, then you're going to be okay. But I think like I always have to sort of think about and, yes, it might be so annoying what's going on at work or, you know, maybe I've had a really hard time sort of like cracking what I'm going to do in this shoot or, you know, maybe... You know, I go through like those times when you just have like this huge creative block and I'm just like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing or like, is this crap? Oh, I'm crap. Like, oh, God, (laughs) you know, but, classic. (laughs) you know, you have that like internal creative, um, you know, process meltdown. Um, But, you know, like if you just keep going and then when I get on set and I'm, you know, I'm creating amazing imagery with my peers and friends, like that's what inspires me. And if you have a great shoot, you sort of leave at the end of the day and you're just like, oh, that's why I do this. You know, I think you can get so yeah. caught up in, you know, the nitty gritty. But, you know, if you have a great day on set, it sort of makes you just forget all the, how hard it was to get here. Yeah, the clawing. Yeah. The your way up the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> so what stimulates you the most? Is it little moments in time on Instagram that to see what, the world is up to or is it losing yourself among photography books or is it I think it's a bit of everything I think for me now like yes when I was younger I would you know I'd be able to watch so many more you know films like spend hours like pouring over books finding references like now I find I don't have as much time to as I would like so I sort of for me, like when I've got a shoot schedule on, you know, I pour myself into the research about the person or, you know, the subject matter that I'm doing and then sort of work my way back from that and spark creativity that way. But, you know, like it's that old saying, like creativity is everywhere, you know, and there's like a million sort of saved items on my Instagram of things when you're scrolling and you thought, oh, God, that person's cool or 
oh, I love that or I love the way that that's styled and you sort of save things. So it sort of strikes everywhere really. Even my daughter the other day, like I bought her this makeup for Christmas and she came out with this like really expressive avant-garde like eye makeup that she'd put on and it was like hot pinky orange but then she put this like macabam over it so it had this like sheen gloss and I actually took a photo of it because I was like that is a really great eye reference. (laughs) How old is she? Four and a half. Ahead of her time. So, yeah, I did laugh to myself because <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. <laughs> Coming to the pages of Vogue with you. Let me just um, get a pic yeah. quickly. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, put your arm down. No, smile. No, not too much. No. <laughs> anyway. With that in your mood board. Yeah. Like, Where did you reference this from? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, don't worry. All my makeup artist friends are like well across Luella and her escapades. So they'll probably love it. <laughs> I have a feeling this podcast will attract a lot of the younger demographic that are looking to get into this circuit. It is not as much as that tacky who you know, but it is sort of the impression that you leave and the relationships that you build when you are in front of the people that you know can develop or help you forge your career. So do you have any advice for relationships? Because essentially all the Australian, especially as an industry is so small, essentially we just work with our friends. Mm, yeah. Yeah, look, it's so different though, right? It's like when we were younger, like I would have loved to have heard advice from people I looked up to, but I feel like now with social media, like everyone sort of is their own brand and everyone can share what they want and get instant real-time feedback and know what resonates with people. And I think people aren't wanting to sort of get in somewhere at the bottom and work their way up because why would you, right, if you can be your own brand and be somebody on Instagram and, you know, like it's just... (laughs) Crippling the workforce. (laughs) (laughs) It's different. But then like sometimes I see these great young people coming through Vogue as interns and I'm like, oh, yeah, like you've got it, you know, like you want to work hard, you see the value in learning from industry professionals and you see the value in doing the stuff that people don't want to do because you want to learn, so. You also freelance on jobs and we've worked together on two jobs that you freelanced. Mm -hmm. Um, How... What is the process like for that? And I recall you being repped a little while ago and you're now no longer repped, Mm-mm. right? You're purely freelance. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not repped anymore because the agency that I was with closed. And mm-hmm. to be honest, I have a very small pool of clients that I work with um, mm-hmm. by choice, purely because my role at Vogue is very demanding. And I, you know, I work three days a week and then I look after my kids and so time is um, not so um, abundant, shall we say. (laughs) Um, But I have some good long-standing clients which I work with and, you know, I might work on runway shows around Australian Fashion Week with brands and then I also, you know, shoot sort of campaigns and lookbooks for other brands. Um, And, you know, it's very sort of similar to similar in ways to, you know, your work at Vogue where you're sort of essentially given a brief and you need to work through your process and deliver on that. You know, it's the same if you're doing a runway show or 
you know, shooting a campaign for a client, you know, it's all about what their objectives are and how you can deliver on their vision. Yeah, absolutely. So do you tend to reference your mood boards a lot during a shoot? Um, yes and no. I think it's always good to have a mood board, especially on an editorial shoot where you can sort of discuss it ahead of time. Like I've got a call with a photographer today about my shoot on Friday. I'll share the mood board. We can talk through the different sort of lighting elements that we like, the different, you know, composition elements that we like. Um, but, you know, it's always just there as like a little safety net. So if you sort of like end up losing your way on set, you can always refer back to it. But, you know, I I don't like to work so close to the mood board where it's stifling, you know, because, mm-hmm. yes, you can have a creative concept, but ultimately you've employed a photographer with their lens, pardon the pun, and their eye to create imagery that ultimately feels different, you know, because we're not in the business of ripping things off. Um, So, you know, it's there as like a general guide, but, you know, you really want to leave your own stamp on something. How do you think that the internet is affecting print, like at the level you're at of people's careers and I guess what you do for a job because the consumer expectations are so high both in quality and quantity. How is Vogue affected by this and how are you affected by this and just how much you can churn out? Obviously your team, you have different people and you also have Gen Z staff. So I know the Miss Vogue TikTok and all that kind of came out and all of that's out there now. But like how are you guys keeping up with the demand? Vogue is obviously, you know, have print and digital products. You know, the audience is very different. The print product is very much, you know, more of a coffee table piece. It's a luxurious item. You know, we can really afford to indulge in imagery in that regard. You know, a lot of labour and love goes into those pages. Um, And then, you know, on the digital side, you know, it's a lot more, you know, it's like a news desk, like, you know, it's, you know, pushing out stories about, you know, fashion, culture, celebrity, beauty, you know, everything. And that's very much like bite size, you know, fashion content that people can just gobble up. Like, I think it's, it's funny as well, like the birth of Miss, the rebirth of Miss Vogue, like, God, I was there for the first incarnation um, at Vogue 10 years ago. Which was, that was my favourite. I loved it. Yeah, no, which was amazing. And, you know, it was so ahead of its time in terms of, you know, the art direction and the styling and everyone did such an amazing job that now you really, you know, the new Miss Vogue is for that Gen Z audience and I'm not a Gen Z, so it doesn't make sense for me to be a part of that because if we're about promoting these younger voices then why would it have my voice on it, you know? So I think that's the great thing. And, you know, the team really saw a gap in the market for, you know, Miss Vogue to come back. And I'm so glad it is. Do I know what's going on? Not necessarily, (laughs) but (laughs) a girl can learn. So Miss Vogue will never be print for Australia again? Or is that going to just, it's going to remain online? I don't think it'll be print. No, I think, um, I think that audience is consuming digitally yeah I think yeah definitely 
So pop culture is obviously huge with the news desk element of Vogue. How are you guys personally working to stay up with it? And like you mentioned, being the market editor, you have to know the best five white tees, as well as you probably have to know exactly what Zendaya said two days ago on the red carpet. So like what, how are you doing that? I mean, we have a huge team, you know, by industry standards, our team is huge. And so, you know, that's, but I think that's the beauty of it because no one person can do all of those things. And that's why we all worked so well together, because even though it's a cliche, everyone has a really different skill set and that's mm. what makes it brilliant, mm. you know? So you've obviously got great relationships with brands. Mm-hmm. How are you seeing brands keep up with the technology demands? It would be so tricky to launch a new brand, I would think, in this market, you know. I look at some of the brands, you know, that do things really well and really know their voice, know their brand, know their audience and just stick to their guns. I think they're, you know, the most successful ones, Um, you know, and I think that's what the pandemic sort of, it was such a big learning curve for so many brands and those brands that really, you know, owned a lot more of their sort of, digital assets and they're, you know, we're a lot more, um, you know, not so reliant on international supply chains and really sort of, you know, there was a lot of brands that, you know, made in Australia and things that weren't so um, impacted by the closure of, um, you know, factories in China and things like that. Um, You know, I think brands that really trusted their own gut intuition, rode the wave, you know, they're the ones that really succeeded. Um, And I'm really proud of so many Australian designers, you know, when the pandemic hit, you know, I spoke to a lot of them and it was just, it was like the tap turned off overnight. And that is Mm. freaking scary. Like when you're, and I know myself, like I'm a mum, you know, if my whole livelihood was just turned off overnight, you know, that is terrifying. And these people, you know, run big businesses and they've got staff and, you know, they're real people and, they understand that everyone's got families and mouths to feed. Like I can't even imagine what that would have been like. And, you know, they were terrified. So we did that sort of that big push, that Vogue fashion relief, which was that big sort of shopping um, event, which was amazing and sort of kick-started, um, you know, consumer interest in supporting Australian designers again. So, yeah, look, I think um, it'll be interesting the next sort of 12 months. I hope now that we're sort of over, you know, this next wave and things we can sort of move forward and people can just, you know, onwards and upwards. Has it affected the way that the Vogue team operates? Like obviously you guys have been working from home and you've had to do a couple of shoots over Zoom. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's, has it affected the international, like the way that you guys shoot internationally? Will you be boarding less flights now? Yeah, look, I think things won't be the same for quite a while and, I also think that's a good thing. You know, it really mm. reassessed the way that we were working, the way, you know, the amount of stock that would come through the doors of the fashion cupboard. You know, when you're sort of forced to work a little bit more leanly, I think great things come from that. You know, it's really taught us to sort of look internally about what's sustainable in our processes, what's going to be the best outcome, Um you know, yes, we will always shoot 
internationally with, um, you know, teams and stylists and photographers over there because that's just the way it is and the talent is more often than not over there. Um, you know, yes, we will continue to work flexibly, um, but, you know, I've always had a great boss in Edwina and, you know, she's always been very trusting of her staff that, you know, especially in the fashion team, we're always out on appointments, you know, we're not necessarily in the office all the time, but as long as the work gets done, it's done to an excellent high standard, then you can work from anywhere. Yeah. Do you think you'll remain based in Sydney with you and your family? Yes. Yes. Yeah, we've laid roots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the dream of living overseas was um, one I had years ago and then I guess it was when I was made redundant at Rush and I thought, okay, well, now is the chance to, you know, go overseas and try to make a go of it. But then I met my now husband and seven years married and, like, two kids later, we're, <laughs> we're here. I've, this question wasn't noted but I'm curious about it. When was the last time that you totally lost track of time? Oh, my God, never. <laughs> really? <laughs> I'm a mom. Everything is like so regimented, yeah. which is, yeah, which maybe that's a good news resolution. Try and get lost Try in time a little bit. Indulge. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do that's indulgent to, to make sure that you're looking after yourself? Oh, I go for walks. Mm. I'm a big walker. I find that if I've had just like a really crap day or something, I just need to go, I just need to go for a walk. By the time I walk out my back door and up the laneway, like it's literally like my problems melt away. Like exercise for me is so key to a good mindset. Like it just has to be part of my life. And, you know, that's not meaning I'm like hitting the gym or like, you know, killing myself to F45. No, thanks. It's just like (laughs) getting out, going for a walk, being in the fresh air. It's so important. Mm, Absolutely. So... I am interested to hear, like, I sort of do what I do as a motion director to always attempt to make people feel less alone, mm-hmm. like when in the casting or in the darkness or in the moodiness or in the energy or whatever we're sort of presenting. I especially try and avoid, um, like especially in swim, like avoid sexualizing women and doing that sort of thing. And so I sort of maybe every year have some goals in what I'm trying to put out there as a as a message and a story. What do you... Trying to tell the world, I guess. Yeah, good question. I think I think ultimately when people are in my hands on a shoot, you want to make them feel so comfortable and at the end of the day you want them to feel beautiful and seen. Mm. I think that's as simple as I can put it, you know, like if someone is trusting me and my team and the writer in telling their story, then you need to honour that person and make sure that they are comfortable, happy and feel beautiful and ultimately feel happy that they have let us tell their story or been a small part in helping them tell their story. Well, that's divine. (laughs) I meant it. (laughs) No, but it's so special. And honestly, like the amount of times that I have been on a shoot and we're shooting talent And the talent's been in tears because it's like this crescendo moment in their lives being shot for Vogue. And, yes, sometimes I, you know, I've worked there for 10 years and you still get these reminders of how much it means to people. And, you know, I've had people, you know, in tears saying, 
oh, God, that person who bullied me in high school is going to see this and I've made it. And, like, that's amazing. Yeah. You know? Wow. Yeah. I feel like it's very, I don't know, I just I really like the way that you, you said that. It was really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. I think we can end it there. Amazing. Well, thanks for Is there anything me. else you want to say? No. We're good. <laughs> We're good. Just that I know what I'm doing. <laughs> no. No, no, no. I've, um, yeah, no, this has been really fun. Thank you. And I Anytime. need to get on with my day, schlepping around, preparing yeah, for my shoot. It, what are you doing today? Give them a little I glimpse. I need to go and pick out some jewels to mm-hmm. dress um, the talent in and then I need to head into the office to see what looks have arrived and just check that everything's there that I need, catch up with the team and then just hit the old inbox, see what needs to be chased <laughs> up. And yeah, It's a public holiday tomorrow, which is super annoying in the yes. middle of the week. Um, I know, but, yeah, isn't we'll it? Get through it? Thanks, guys. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we'll get through it. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for giving your time. I really appreciate it. I was actually not expecting you to say yes. I like, I, you know, when, when something happens and you're like, you get excited, I literally was like, no, that's so kind. No, I, it was an honor to be asked. It's, um, well, I'll see you in Melbourne. We'll have a quiz. Yes. (laughs) Um, absolutely. We will. I'd love to catch up when you're there for, how are we saying PayPal Melbourne Fashion Festival? Pumpf. Ah. I know, I don't think we're saying it. It's pump. I'm making that up. Sorry, guys. But how, I don't know. Is it Maybe PayPal? you can edit like, that bit out. <laughs> They're going to be like, Ariel. Yeah. Come on. But yeah, I'll see you then. Bye. Uh, see you at pump. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. I am so excited that my first episode is with Philippa Moroni, who I really, really look up to and adore. I cannot wait for you to be a part of this podcast community that I hope to create with Process. Please subscribe and share if you've loved this episode. Everything we spoke about is in the show notes and I cannot wait to bring you an episode next Sunday.